It was uh, have you seen my negligee? By the way, I haven't shaved my legs in three years. Right. That kind of yeah. sex. <laughs> General, because my penis would be so big. The most tremendous penis. And I would be so masculine and women would basically want my body all the time. Okay, hello, welcome to another podcast. I'm Jade. I am Ellen. And we are at your cervix. This podcast is going to be a talk. We're going to talk about menstruation and different aspects of menstruation just to do something a little bit different from what we've done the last couple of podcasts, try and get back to something a little bit more educational and scientific because that's actually our main aim here at At Your Cervix as opposed to... That's Jade's main aim. (laughs) Mine is just to talk shit about sex and vagina. And as I'm sure you're all aware, I'm constantly thwarted by Ellen who's (laughs) determined that we should not do anything educational whatsoever but rather just talk about her sex life. Anyway, let's move on. So the first thing we're going to talk about in menstruation is just basic anatomy and physiology of menstruation. So it's something that happens to obviously 50% of the population. One of the really interesting aspects, of course, is that without a basic level of sex education or basic anatomy and physiology in the younger years is that lots of women, lots of girls start menstruating without even knowing what's happening, especially if you come from a family that's not probably as open about menstruation in the home as I am. <laughs> with my children if you're if you have girls in your home who don't see you putting using a tampon or don't see you bleeding from the vagina on a regular basis then the whole thing can be kind of shrouded in mystery and secrecy and so and given that comprehensive sex education in schools is not something that's ubiquitous it's often like a whole mystery game and one of the really interesting aspects of course is that it's a super super mystery game for young boys who have absolutely no idea. And we continue to promote this kind of culture where menstruation is not only a secret, it's kind of a dirty secret, and it's a dirty secret that's kept amongst women. So just here are some facts about menstruation in the developing world along that vein is that in India, nearly 70% of girls had no idea what was happening when they first got their period. And this is from Time to Talk About Menstruation 1.org. 88% of menstruating women have no access to sanitary pads. In India, 66% of girls' only schools in India do not have functioning toilets. Yeah, that sounds pretty shitty to be a menstruating person in India. I think it's pretty shitty to be a menstruating person anywhere in the developed world, but it's not actually such an awesome thing to be a menstruating person in the United States or the developed (laughs) world either. It continues to suck. But I'm sort of propagating an attitude as well that menstruating sucks because that's the attitude that was given to me by the elder women who taught me about menstruation is that Mm. menstruating sucks. And I would say that there is kind of like a cultural turnaround recently where women are being told no no no, you should really embrace menstruation and I would say that we really really should embrace menstruation because it's such a complex physiological process that female it's body awesome it's process. fucking amazing but it doesn't mean I like having my period no but it is like a very interesting scientific it is way. it's like from an anatomy and physiological perspective the way that female bodies are able to produce this incredible cycle that brings forth life mm-hmm. is really really pretty fucking amazing and not celebrated enough it's definitely this kind of shunned topic that we don't talk about i don't think it always was and there was the association of reproductive health professionals did a survey and one of the questions was are women attached to their monthly visitor aunt flo (laughs) (laughs) the fact was the survey found that little women had little affection towards their periods and only eight percent say that in some ways they enjoy it. Oh, yeah, so totally. I would consider like that to be part of the definitely. Like a survey of 
totally obvious facts. <laughs> oh man, having your period can totally fucking suck. Like I tend to get my period tends to be I'm pretty regular, but I'm definitely not one of those people who keeps like good tabs on it. You know when you go to the your primary care physician or whatever, and then they want to know what, and day. they're like, so what was the day of your last period? And you're like, mm, maybe springtime. It was a Tuesday. Yes, I had the marina since I had miles, so I had the marina for you know, four and a half years, and I decided that I needed to go natural and I wanted to have my period and really experience, you know, <laughs> what... Just because life isn't hormone. tough enough. Because I thought, you know, I need to get in touch with my woman. I don't know what the fuck I was thinking. Right. So I remember I told my provider, I said, I want to be more natural. He's like, why? why? What do you want to but do? that's I'm a like, typical masculine response <laughs> of a, from a man. Like, And then I, I got in touch with my feminine, my female period for, what was it, a month? And I was like, fuck <laughs> this. I'm done with it. Put it back in. When I first got my period, I remember telling my mother and she had the reaction that I can now empathize with having a daughter and it was disappointment. And I now realize, like, and looking back probably towards my 20s, I thought, you know, that was kind of a pretty bitchy response to have. But when you have a daughter, I think the response is, oh man, my little girl's growing up. You know, it's a really like fundamental sign when you have a, a girl that puberty is on its way and you're losing that sort of childness of your of your daughter so she had that kind of response to it and then I remember it went away and it never really came back for probably like six to 12 months or whatever and so Hmm. my mother thought maybe it was all just a false alarm and then I like I pretty much had a regular cycle after that but yeah I tend to bleed like an absolute motherfucker for the first two three days and then sometimes hardly at all where I don't really feel like I need a product but the Hmm. one thing my mother did tell me when I very first started was she tried to get me situated on tampons right right from the go and for any other women out there who remember trying to insert a tampon for the very first time (laughs) holy shit like it was a pretty full-on process sticking a tampon in your vagina and those were minis too i remember one of my girlfriends had a birthday party and it was in the winter i think and one of our other friends were trying to teach her how to use a tampon and she was in the bathroom and for like two hours there was like nine 13 year old girls outside of the bathroom trying to explain where to put it and what to do and if I remember, I don't think she figured it out. <laughs> it was like... She was, yeah. like, more confused than yeah, when she went in. it was in. a really long process. Well, I remember my mother brought home, like, lube, you know, to help me insert <laughs> the tampon and me not really knowing what the lube was for. And then having a girlfriend come over, so I was, like, 13 or whatever, and her pulling lube out of, like, the, you know, the bathroom being like, what the fuck is this for? She was a much more worldly person than me. I have it's a, hard to believe. I think that she possibly knew what lube was for, whereas I clearly thought it was just for inserting tampons for the first time. Like, I really didn't have any idea. Oh, that's interesting. It is. I was so, a very innocent child ellen like not unlike my my co-host when i first got my period i didn't tell anybody oh really yes and i would hear people read stories people like oh you're a woman now it's like this big fucking deal i didn't tell anybody and i was having a friend come over and this is like months later and she went to change my sheets in my bedroom before my friend came over and saw blood on them and was like confronted me she's like do you have your period and i was like yeah so what? Yeah, I don't know if I was. I think I might have cried. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember my dog was in heat. When I oh, really? And I would sit there. Like, <laughs> the the two of you commiserating bleed. together. Yeah. 
the US National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey have found no significant change in the median age of Menaki over the past 30 years, except among the non-Hispanic black population, which has a 5.5 month earlier median age at Menaki than it did 30 years ago. So I know one of the issues that has sort of been circulating around is that are women, are young girls menstruating earlier? And does that have something to do with the hypersexualization of our culture, which I think is to me, I'm not sure if this information, like this is coming from ACOG, but well, there seems... This article says that women are menstruating earlier. Right. And I have read... estrogens in the food and being fatter. And also because of the idea that young girls are maturing so much earlier because of the culture that we live in. Like one of the things that drives me that I want to stick a fork in someone's fucking eye is the idea of a bralette, of having young girls wear like these tiny little cloth bras when they don't have any breasts. The idea that you... You feel like that's a new idea? No, I feel like that's so fucking... Like it's such a sexualization of young girls by having them in lacy panties Mm. and little bras when you don't need a bra. Mm. The idea that you would want to age your daughter before they need to be. And if you look at the kind of singers and popular culture figures that young girls aspire to, you know, look at Katy Perry. Like her songs are about kissing other women, but not only that, like one night stands and the song... like with. Without having an idea as a young girl of the music that you're listening to, if you're not looking closely at the lyrics, the lyrics are all very sexualized and the music videos are hypersexualized and the singers and the actresses wear really skimpy clothing. So there's this ideal that you want to be older before your time. Okay, so I have a different opinion about that. Great. Number one, menstruation was a period historically, like way back in the day, as when a woman was ready to be married. Right. And, and in book, some cultures still is. Like the red tent. Remember that? Yeah. And now this is going to really get into my Christian background that I really have no understanding of the Bible. But I'm pretty sure like <laughs> Joseph wanted to marry Rachel, but she hadn't had her period yet. So he had to marry her older sister, Leah. Leah. Uh-huh. And then he had, you know, multiple wives. Right. So he had his first wife because the girl that he had met that he fell in love with, and he was a man. The so prepubescent girl. Over 18, had to get her period first. Right. So she hadn't gotten her period yet, so he had to marry her sister. Uh-huh. He could only marry her when she when she got her period. Right. Ooh. Right? Yuck. So. It's another reason why I don't read the Bible before bed. <laughs> it's just right. too scary. So, and I also, I feel torn about the sexualization, like, What's the big deal about being sexual? Right. Like, people are going to sexualize, they sexualize nuns. Nuns are not going out in their underwear out in public. No. And you can But you sexualize... don't think that there's a real marketing and a targeted, yes. a targeted campaign towards young girls. And if you look at, you know, clothing companies that they target young girls with particular clothing in order to try and sexualize that market, which is not done, that young boys are not given to the same extent, I wouldn't say it's not true all the time, but that young boys are not targeted in the same way to be hypersexualized at that young How age. How do you hypersexualize a young boy, though? But like, what is the difference between young boy clothes and men's clothes? There's none. There's none. And if we look at men's clothes in general, I like a lot of man thigh. Right. You know, like, I love Magnum P.I. short shorts. Yep. There is no shorts on men that come up more than three fingers above the knee anymore. <laughs> You know what I mean? Right. And I was oh. watching the music channel. I was cleaning my house yesterday of the 70s music. Yeah. And all the band pictures, you can see, like, penis head and balls and in, in every all shot. the pants. Yes. Like, 
look at my genitalia. And I remember my dad telling me when he was uh, growing up in South Africa that the teenage boys and girls would buy white bathing suits, boys and girls, because they wore Speedos uh-huh. uh, and would cut out the lining so you could see your pubes through the suit. Like, that's what... Really? Yeah. Oh, but, my God. But, I mean, South Africa is much different than the United States. I wouldn't... In a way other than yeah. climate. <laughs> but, you know, there's nude beaches. And right. people are... And growing up, I remember him always being like, fucking Americans. You know, it's... And I'm going to go ahead and say it's the Puritans. Yeah. Victorian area. Yeah, era, maybe you're really right. fucked everybody over. Maybe you're right. And, but I think that their whole shame and sexuality and puberty, like all that stuff is so closely linked. I don't know that I can have a conversation saying that. I do think that in media, they overly sexualize women. But another part of me says, who fucking cares? Because women can be sexual and you can be strong. And to only say that sexualizing things is demeaning. Right. That's but, where I'm... But I agree with you to, accept me to a certain point. Only that you can choose to be sexualized once you hit a level of maturity. But does a 10-year-old, 9-year-old, 10-year-old girl, 11-year-old girl, even 12, 13, understand that they're being hypersexualized by the media that they're consuming. And I don't think that they do. I don't think that they have that level of maturity. I don't think that my 10-year-old daughter or her friends has the level of maturity to understand that the messages and the images that they're seeing on TV are targeted to them in a way mm-hmm. that's trying to engage with them on a sexual level. Right. Yeah, I can agree with that. Whereas as a 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old, as... You know, at my age, 23, I can accept <laughs> that the messages that are being targeted to me are being targeted to me in a specific way in order for me to buy product and engage in certain media. Mm-hmm. Whereas I don't think that an eight-year-old girl... Right, but I think that, like, I think about bralettes and stuff, and I think that when I was growing up, girls getting their first bra was a huge deal. They were huge so excited. Deal. And I had friends that had, like, flat as board, had not even a whisper of a breast. And they were wearing bras. And then if I think about myself at that age, so I really rejected. I did not want to mature physically at all. And I was kind of a late bloomer in that way. My first bra was a 34B. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I got my period when I was, I don't know, maybe 11 or 12. I can't even remember when I got my period because I hit it. But I started having sex when I was 14. Right. Because I was really sexual. Right. So I guess... This is saying that menarche is... So menarche is the very first period, for those of you who are not familiar with that term. And this, the U.S. National Health and Statistics, is saying that it's still around between 12 and 13 years. So Mm -hmm. if you're saying you had yours, what, 11, you're slightly... Yeah, slightly... But so do my sister. My nieces are all getting their period in the Yeah. So so does the evidence then suggest that menarche is happening earlier? Like, anecdotally, from what you're saying, yeah, because you and all the women... For you, five people that I know, right. that's representative of the world. <laughs> of the, that's the only the people she knows. Earth. So I was, no, I was 13. I'm pretty sure I was 13 when I had mine. One of the first signs of that transition into puberty is actually the breast budding. So we were just mm-hmm. talking about developing breasts and stuff. And so menarche then typically happens two to three years after that initial breast budding. So that's one of the signs. So by <laughs> age 15, 98% of females will have transitioned through menarche. So those are kind of the age groups that we're talking about. So if you have a young girl who has reached 15 and has not experienced menarche yet, Mm -hmm. that that would be a reason for them to go in. This is also saying there's usually like most young girls have 
experienced menarche and then there's a period before the second cycle comes through a reasonably large interval so that's pretty common as well i remember what what was the podcast we were talking about those girls who can actually it was the virginity podcast where we were talking about girls whose hymen is intact yeah and so they actually experience menarche but have no bleeding and then it's not found until afterwards when they get abdominal pain and stuff like that Hemorrhage in terms of abdominal bleeding is defined by if you're having to change your pad every one to two hours. And for some women, like for me in the first couple of days, but it has to be put into context. So Mm -hmm. if you're changing a pad every one to two hours over the course of seven days, that would be considered abnormal uterine bleeding. But if you're just doing that at the beginning of your cycle, like I tend to have to do, then that's probably pretty normal. So that's about it in terms of like anatomy and physiology. That's about as in-depth as Ellen and I will get. But what you should know is uh, one of the things and if you've ever been a pregnant woman one of the things they always ask you when you first come in for your very first prenatal appointment is the day of your first menstrual period and this is something that I've always found really really interesting and it speaks to me of the like male dominance of healthcare over the years and that male hegemony <laughs> over women in terms of reproduction so one of the things that we do is we count the menstrual cycle the menstrual cycle is made up of two different kinds of cycles there's the ovarian cycle which deals with the oocyte and the follicle and that's kind of the egg and then there's the uterine cycle which deals with the uterus and that's actually what menstruation is so menstruation is after the egg has been released basically if it doesn't meet up with a sperm the lining of the uterus prepares for a fertilized egg to come back if that doesn't happen then the lining of the uterus sheds And that's actually what the blood is. So it's basically just the uterine lining, which is made up of tissue and the blood that flushes that out back through your vagina. So one of the really interesting things I always think about is how it makes sense to me that the cycle would start from when the egg is released, right? That Mm -hmm. that would be day one, but it's not. It's we start the cycle from the very first day of your period because women's cycles are all different. Like women can ovulate. So that release of the egg is called ovulation. And so that happens generally around the middle of your cycle so if we anticipate that a cycle is 28 days it's going to happen around day 14 Mm -hmm. but we start the cycle on the first day of the period because it's something that we can see and then count from so then you can actually start physically counting on the day of your first period so that's why if you go to a prenatal appointment or if people ask you about your periods they're asking you for the first day of your menstrual cycle the first day that you saw bleeding in order to then count 14 around when you might ovulate so when i was trying when i convinced my husband that having a second child was a good idea despite all his misgivings after having the (laughs) first (laughs) and all evidence to the contrary by our now like completely obliterated life he um one of the things i did was that i counted basically 14 days after the first day of my period and he came home and i said hey baby how about it and he knew that this wasn't that kind of romantic rendezvous he was really looking for that was purely for reproduction purposes. And so the Wait, sex obviously was amazing. How, how it was amazing, know? incredible it was the, sex. The hey baby, it was, was the, have you seen my negligee? By the way, I haven't shaved my legs in three years. Right. That kind of yeah. sex. <laughs> One of the really interesting things that I wanted to talk about that I read an article about was the idea around women getting horny when they have their period. Because what the textbooks, which again were written by white men, you know, like 50, 60 years ago, mm-hmm. the textbooks have always said that women, that you should be most horny when you're ovulating in order to aid 
the process of reproduction, right? Like right. the whole idea we're here. Women's is, sexuality. Yeah, the whole just... idea we're here as women here, we are just here on this planet to procreate. We serve no other purpose. It's and true. so it makes sense <laughs> that we would only want to engage in sex. When we can procreate. Right, because most other animals, that's how it actually works, except for other than us and some sort of ape and, of course, the bonobo. Uh, the, it's a bonobo? It's a type of a monkey. like, okay. But it's, it's a kind of famous monkey that loves having sex. It has right. sex all the time. So. Dolphins. Do dolphins have sex as well? But, you know, there's not very animals that will have sex outside the idea of procreation. Procreation. So one of the things I was always felt kind of weird about was I get like super, super horny during my period, right? Like Mm -hmm. that's when I want to have sex. And it was like, well, the textbook is saying I'm supposed to be super horny when I'm ovulating, but it's the complete opposite. And I was like, that's because these fucking textbooks, as usual, are written by fucking angry white guys or whatever who have no idea about female sexuality (laughs) and of course it makes total fucking sense to me that i would actually be much hornier around my period so i couldn't get pregnant do you know what i mean like that i would just want to fuck for fuck's sake (laughs) you know that makes so much sense to me but that's never the message that has been propagated is that women want to fuck because they like to fuck, it's that we would only want to have sex to have children. Right. Yeah. So what is the role of men (laughs) in menstruation? I found this really awesome article, and it was absolutely 100% awesome because it's about Australian men. One of the things it talks about is the idea of negative associations that men have with menstruation. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that it talks about is younger men tend to, going back to that idea that sexual sex education and talking about female reproduction stuff isn't something that is talked about a lot with young boys or Mm -hmm. it's kept hidden from them, so therefore their idea of it is, it's holy shit, it's disgusting. Because they separate when the the girl puberty talk and the boy puberty talk. Right, but even in, like, households, you know, there was Mm -hmm. anecdotal evidence of, like, women saying, you know, or these men were saying, I had sisters but when my sister started menstruating the door was shut on me and I was told to go away like I was not Mm -hmm. allowed to be involved in any process of it so men who were younger single and less sexually experienced were more likely to talk about sex during menstruation as nasty too much of a cleanup and smelly and on the other hand respondents who were older and were in committed relationships and had more sexual experience didn't have any kind of that narrative of disgust or anything like that and they were much more likely to frame their view of sexual activity during menstruation as arising out of mutual comfort and trust. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting to me that Australian men would have anything of those kind of ideas because they're all awesome. <laughs> they're all awesome. So boys and men's attitude towards menstruation, that's one of the things that we need to be talking to boys much more about menstruation in sex education. That needs to be part of their curriculum as well. I just have to read you this quote only from this study because it's so fucking awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry. But this Australian man, they were talking about whether these men in this study like to engage in sex while their partner was menstruating. And most of the respondents said that they had a general sort of no sex rule, except for two respondents. Two respondents were not entirely opposed to menstrual sex. And one of them said, it tastes like copper earning your red wings, but there are no physical issues on my end. <laughs> just fucking love that. Thank you, Australian men. You're just... Well, there was um, on Facebook not too long ago, there was a picture of a woman sleeping on her side. I don't know if you saw that. And you could see she had like, leaked through whatever she had she got her period and she was asleep and you could see it like the blood on her shorts Mm. and there was some on the sheets and the comment was something about like oh this is so fucking gross and there was this huge backlash and this one gentleman wrote he's like 
what all this is is a sign that you need to go to the store, get her some fucking tampons, make her some tea, and make her breakfast in bed. Right. Because she's probably a little comfortable and needs extra sleep today. Yeah. And have you ever asked, like, boyfriends, can you go to the store and get me some tampons? I have had done that to previous boyfriends, and they have given me so. that look like... Uh, like uh, but they've definitely done it for me there was this great ad in australia years and years ago it may even still be around it was for a tampon company and so the girlfriend says can you go to the supermarket and get me some tampons and he's like i don't really want to do that blah 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 and she's kind of like in pain and uncomfortable and he loves her so he goes to the store and the tampons are all lined up in this big Mm -hmm. row and of course there's three classifications of tampons there's mini um regular and super and so he's standing there like looking at all the boxes of the tampons and he kind of looks down at his own penis and he looks up and he just reaches for the super (laughs) tampons you know and puts them in his basket and he's just like this ordinary guy (laughs) really really classical ad so how do periods affect women in modern life like Mm -hmm. do periods have any effect we're talking about them like they're sort of nonchalant like no big deal we certainly don't give a shit about them our partners don't anymore but do periods affect women in their life and I guess the evidence says that they do like that women have to take time off work when they're not feeling well that one of the things that we always like to bring up is that menstrual products are taxed So women have to pay tax on the fact that they have their periods, which is completely and utterly bullshit. So does having your period affect you going to work? And I would say, in my experience, not really. I tend to be able to take, you know, a couple of Tylenol ibuprofen together and move on with my day. But there are certainly women out there whose periods are really negatively impact their life on a regular basis where every month they're having to take time off or work or... So this one... This, the Association of Reproductive Health Professionals had a survey about, so the one question is, has PMS, your period, menstrual cramps, or other menstrual effects ever caused you to miss a professional commitment? And 24% said yes. Social event, 29% said yes. Physical or athletic opportunity is 28%, and time with your friends or family is 29%. So actually, no was the majority of all of those answers, but, you know, a quarter of the people had their period affect all of those. Oh, yeah, I've definitely met other women whose periods really did affect their lives. The pain was significant, and they had to take time off work, and I felt kind of sorry for them Mm because that really sucks to have to do that on a regular basis, particularly if you have significantly heavy bleeding that you're just not able to contain. Or, you know, I'll say a friend. I won't be too specific with my identifiers. I remember when we were in middle school, she would get migraines and vomit. Right. Like, she would vomit her first day of her period, and she couldn't go to school. I mean, she was ill. That's horrible. Yeah. Especially in school, because that's, yeah, such a difficult time. So, women who suffer from conditions like endometriosis or any type of those reproductive issues, Mm -hmm. I always feel like there's not a lot of sympathy out there, because there is this kind of two-way conversation where it is just this really normal part of life and we should all just get on with it but the other idea is that there are women out there who suffer from abnormal uterine bleeding and so how do we tell the difference between the two and in that press release from ACOG it was about providers healthcare providers being a little bit more alert to what is what is a regular cycle and asking their patients and asking young girls like what Mm -hmm. their bleeding looks like
like how it affects their life in order to differentiate between those women suffering from normal periods and those who are suffering from abnormal periods. Right, right. One of the things I also did a little bit of research on was the cultural aspects of menstruation in different cultures and stuff and through history. Some of them are really cool. So in Norse mythology, the god Thor reached the magic land of enlightenment and internal life by bathing in a river filled with menstrual blood. That's why I have always had <laughs> a thing Thor. for those freaking them. Norse people, those Scandinavians. <laughs> I've always had a thing for them because they just are a lot smarter than us. In Greek mythology, the gods were dependent on the miraculous power of menstrual blood and it was considered supernatural red wine given to the gods by Mother Hera. So this one says the Romans attributed deformity of the god Vulcan to the menstrual intercourse between his parents Juno and Jupiter. <laughs> So there is kind of, yeah, well, there's kind of this didactic (laughs) thing where some of them think it's good and some Some of them them think think it's it's kind of stupid as well. A Cherokee mythical story demonstrates the power of menstrual blood because stone clad was a cannibalistic monster who was virtually indestructible because of his impenetrable stone skin, but he had one weakness. He could not bear the sight of menstruating woman. I feel like there's many stone clad men still out there. And so (laughs) although no Cherokee warrior could stop, him he finally met his demise in the presence of seven menstruating virgins and one by one they stood naked in his path sapping his strength until he finally crumpled in a heap and i do feel like i might have had a couple of boyfriends who were like stone clad where you said i have my periods and they just crumple in a heap in front of you (laughs) the idea that they might have to deal with your menstruating um so this one says in the 18th century in saigon no woman was employed in the opium industry because it was believed that if a menstruating woman were near the opium, it would become ruined and bitter. <laughs> there is that real aspect. There's that theme of menstruation being associated with sort of like bitterness. And so here is another one I have from the Greeks and Romans. Menstrual fluid was recommended as a treatment for rabies, malaria, and epilepsy. But it was also kind of thought of that it turns new wine sour and crops touched up by it become barren and, and it had a horrible smell fills the air and if dogs were to taste it they would be driven mad and then bite people with their incurable (laughs) poison so the only one that i really like is this one from africa and the people of the kalahari kalahari people who are known as kung i'm probably pronouncing that wrong they're a contemporary hunter and gathering tribe from the kalahari desert so but in kalahari tradition women hold actually pretty high esteemed positions within the society pretty much equal to those men they have shared decision making and labor and all that kind of stuff and so their periods are not really like considered to be taboo or any kinds of fear related to it but they do have a hut where young girls go to when they have their very first period that's like a monarchy hut and it's located within the village and the men are free to watch because the women just have this huge party when these girls go to this hut Mm -hmm. like it's this kind of like you know girls night out free for all and the Mm -hmm. men kind of like stand around and watch and everybody claps and cheers and the the really interesting That's part nice. is yeah it's kind of freaking <laughs> awesome but the thing i liked well, that i thought was really interesting because water is scarce you know they're desert bushmen mm-hmm. like the women kind of just let it free flow like there's no they're not really too concerned about menstrual pads or, lions or eating them no apparently not apparently they're not well that's like that bullshit thing about <laughs> women who have their periods can't go like swimming in case they get fucking eaten by the sharks or or like, i don't want to be in or a bear oh, the bear that's right you're not supposed to go bushwalking because you have like the bear is going to come and eat 
hit you. But the Kalahari Bush women, they're like, no, fuck this shit. It's going to bleed down my leg yeah. and I'm not even going to try to hide it. So um, that's clearly why they're a better breed of people than we are. Some Going back to some of those women, like talking about the privileged position that we have in terms of right. having available products, living in clean, sanitary um, places where we can get blood all over our fingers and then wash it wash with soap and, soap and water in the bathroom. There are definitely instances of women out there who don't. One of the most famous ones, I think recently there was an art, a story on NPR not that long ago, was about the idea of the menstrual huts that some cultures have. This one in particular was talking about menstrual huts in Nepal. They're called chapati goths, and so they're little huts that are kept away from the village where women have to go and spend time when they're menstruating. So as soon mm-hmm. as they get menstrual cycle, they have to go up to these huts and they stay there for however long their menstrual cycle goes to. And generally, from what I was reading, the maximum is seven days because then your husband expects you to come back down to the village and cook his dinner, I suppose. So it's about a mile away from the village. Wealthier families obviously can afford to build fairly nice chapati goth huts, you know, things that have floors and Mm -hmm. walls and maybe even running water. But for the vast majority of women, it's a shanty shack on a dirt floor with no running water, completely open to the elements. And so the story was about a woman who ended up dying in one of these huts recently within the last year who was found dead in a chapati hut basically from overexposure to the elements because it's Nepal and I know you listeners know where Nepal is. This is for Ellen. It's in the Himalayas. <laughs> it's kind of cold there. So that's one of the practices. And so there actually has been a, a national campaign in Nepal to try and get rid, you know, of these Japati huts. But like many things, like tradition and culture are often much more powerful than information. Well, you know, I would say from reading that book, The Red Tent, the culture around the hut, you know, the period huts or was that the women would all go there and then that's where they would share their oral tradition and their histories Mm -hmm. away from the men and you would learn about being a woman and you would learn about the history of your family and it was like kind of a really big bonding time. I went to an all-girls boarding school and it was always talked about how when women get together and this is a theme that you see through a lot Mm -hmm. of this literature as well is that when women, groups of women get together they menstruate at the same time and from a statistical and evidence-based perspective that doesn't happen. It's because women and it has nothing to do with the full moon or anything like that like women's cycles are completely their own and there's no evidence to suggest that women cycle Mm. together. That idea is really interesting in Jewish culture culture so there's the idea of female purity which is called nida again my hebrew is excellent and it's the idea of women removing themselves from their society and from their family and homes when they are menstruating and often what they do is they go in orthodox jewish communities they go to what's called a mikvah again perfect pronunciation, a ritual bath designed for this idea of Jewish purification. And so this has always been the really most interesting thing. I spent a bit of time Mm -hmm. living in Israel. The idea that was always really perplexing to me, because I kind of like this idea that you go and you have a bath with all the women, but one of the things about the mikvah is that the water has to be stagnant. Like it's not running water. It has to be still water. And I thought that's completely the opposite idea of what I would think would be a ritually cleansing thing. But more to the point of this idea is that there's two thoughts about this whole idea of nida within the Jewish community. Like there's women within the Jewish community who thinks this is just completely archaic and bullshit and mm-hmm. a, a sign of repressing females within the community. And then there's this other group who say, 
going back to that idea that you're talking about that actually women come together, they share their stories, they are able to commune with one another and, you know, like engage with one another in this really mm-hmm. culturally religious way as a group. And there's so few opportunities for women to do that, you know, as a right. gender. And so I thought that was kind of really interesting. Hmm. I wanted to talk a little bit about contemporary attitudes towards menstruation, like some of the negative things. That involves physicians here in the United States dating back to around 1920 when a professor of pediatrics at Columbia University, whose name was Dr. Sheik, S-C-H-I-C-K, he developed this term menotoxins, the idea that there were toxins in menstrual blood. So he's the first one who decided that 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 was a thing. And then in 1940, an anthropologist brought the hypothesis to the attention, suggesting that menstruating women indeed wither plants, turn wine sour, spoil pickles, cause bread to fall and so forth because of the chemical components in the menstrual bud, which is, stems back to this whole idea that women can't engage in anything when well, they're fucking menstruating. And uh, Dr. Sheik also thought that menotoxins were plant-destroying substances. Yeah, that's right. That came out through the skin of menstruating women and that they prevented dough from rising and beer from fermenting. Yeah, that's this whole idea I that women shouldn't be out. I came from the skin into I'm, the dough. I have no idea. And another anthropologist at Yale University in 1945 explained the common taboo against menstrual sex as arising from medical risks to men from these menotoxins. So that idea that, you know, when you have your period that men can somehow be afflicted mm-hmm. by these menotoxins, mm-hmm. is, it just fucking begs to belief. But anyway, in 1950, these two specialists of diseases, this is, this is where it really gets me. So there's two specialists in diseases of the reproductive organs, George and Olive Smith. What they did was they injected rodents with menstrual blood, and then when the rodents die, they were like, aha, proof, proof, menstrual blood is full of toxins and kills things. And it wasn't until later that this Israeli gynecologist who was the first person to develop a, like a regular pregnancy test. He was one mm-hmm. of the first people to develop like the HCG test. And he completely disproved the theory because he mixed antibiotics with the menstrual blood and the animals didn't die, showing that it was the bacteria that killed the fucking rodents, not the right. menstrual blood. So, and it's not the evilness of womankind. So he was able to prove that like, I mean, that was a theory that was still going right up to the 1950s. Well, then Freud has suggested that menstruation is a bloody sign of a woman's loss of the penis. <laughs> it's always about how we wish we had, had penises. penises. And that it's a reminder of a woman's uncleanliness and inferiority. I have to say, I'm, I don't know, maybe it's just because I am a woman, but I, I'm really... I'd rather have my period than have a penis, frankly, like this appendage swinging between my legs. But I don't have a penis. Because yours really... would be so I mean, mine huge. would be enormous. So it would definitely be <laughs> difficult. It would be difficult for me on life general because my penis would be so big. The most tremendous penis And I would world. be so masculine and women would basically want my body all the time. Mm-hmm. I love this story. An Indonesian maid in Hong Kong was accused of adding menstrual blood to her employer's food in order to improve their stormy relationship. So her employer, the husband and wife that employed her, were like fighting and bitching at her all the time. So she stuck some of 
of her menstrual blood in their food because she thought it might ease her difficult work environment. <laughs> they ended up finding out and so she was prosecuted, but the prosecutors decided that the charge could not be sustained because the government couldn't prove, again, that menstrual blood has any toxins in it. So It did not improve their relationship, though. <laughs> it in did conclusion. not. And in conclusion, but she lost her it. job. Of course, we can't talk about menstruation, I don't think, unless we make mention to our illustrious leader, the man who is freeing us. The man from of our, the hour. The man of the hour, our illustrious leader, who's going to, you know, pull us out of this current predicament that we're in. He's going to make America great again. We are talking about Donald J. Trump, the man at the centre. Of course, <laughs> he came to some attention as if the man couldn't fucking come to any more attention than it is. Just just talking about him makes my stomach curl. But anyway, Donald Trump, when he was presidential candidate and he was on uh, doing a Republican debate, mm-hmm. this was in August 2016, he complained about the tough questions of the Fox News moderator, Megyn Kelly, um, saying that she had blood coming out of her whatever. Again, I just wanted to point out her what whatever, a great guy he is. Vagina. vagina. <laughs> Because I'm not sure that he has ever said the if word vagina. If you're going to go so far to talk about blood coming out of someone, just go ahead and say vagina. I you don't know. have to say, oh, whatever. I feel like it's, again, one of his inability to be able to tell the truth or say things as they actually are, that he probably is not aware of the word vagina. He probably has a couple of other words that he uses for it. Something else we want to talk about, <laughs> menstruation. Who even wants to go there? I can't even bear it. The kind of products that are available. When I first started having my periods, the only products on the market that were available for me were tampons and pads. Like mm-hmm. that, that was it. And we were talking earlier before the podcast about when I was like 16 or 17, there was a young girl in Australia who died of what's called toxic shock syndrome, mm-hmm. which they ended up saying that she had left her tampon in for too long and some sort right. of the substances in tampons. I think that there has been an enormous amount of time and study done on that and the fact that tampons are not toxic to your system. However, by the same regard, you're not supposed to leave them in your body for an indefinite amount of time. So, and just to go, toxic shock syndrome, this is from womenshealth.gov, is a rare, sometimes deadly condition caused by bacteria that makes toxins or poisons and... Most cases of TSS today are not caused by using tampons. In 1980, however, 63 women died from it. Yeah. And it, Didn't they, you say a friend of yours had lost her leg or someone you it knew? Was, it was something on Facebook that I've seen. There was a model that lost her leg from, 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 from toxic shock. Yeah. But they attributed those 63 women to a certain brand of super absorbency tampons that were then taken off the market. Mm-hmm. So, and what they recommend is that you could be at risk for TSS if you use more absorbent tampons than you need for your bleeding or if you don't change it often enough at least every four to eight hours and i know i used to put a super tampon in and when i first started use it overnight like that's what i used to use but that's i mean that's like eight hours yeah well in my case probably more like 12 to 13 (laughs) menstrual cups cervical caps sponges or diaphragms anything that you put into your vagina can increase the risk if it's in left in place for usually too long, which is, they say, 24 hours, right. and sponges within 30 hours, cervical caps take out within 48. So I have this great story. I was teaching a class on maternal and child nursing at the local university here, mm-hmm. and part of the curriculum was that I had to talk about menstrual cycles or whatever. And so here I was, like the expert at the top of the classroom, and I'm like, so here are tampons and pads. And this young like girl at the back's like, what about menstrual cups? And I was like... I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Like, this was literally two years ago. That's how on top of things I am. And the whole classroom, I was like, I'm still the fucking expert. 
bitches. Right. I just don't know what a menstrual Anything cup is. but these two items. I'm an <laughs> so, expert on these two things. <laughs> and so, I very, like, that very afternoon, I, like, raced home on Amazon, like, menstrual diva cup. It was the one that they had right. mentioned. And that was – I'd never heard of the menstrual cup before. So, I immediately – raced out and bought one because i mean they fucking sound amazing like the mm. idea that you can put them in leave them in for 12 hours and just empty them and so i have t- yeah and forget about it i actually have two menstrual cups i bought a diva cup and a lena cup i think mm-hmm. i personally have not had as much success with the menstrual cup as i was hoping to have and i'm not sure if it's got to do with placement i know it has something to do with placement and like finding your cervix and stuff i find that at the beginning of a cycle when my cycle's super heavy I don't know, I just seem to bleed all around it and it ends up being a messier fucking job mm-hmm. than than it's worth. But once that heavy part of my cycle is over, I can use the Diva Cup really well, like keep it mm-hmm. in for 12 hours, just take it in and out of the shower. It's really good. Do you have a Diva Cup, don't you? I have one. I just got one when I got my IUD taken out. And so I always had super light periods, so I you know, would use really like OP tampons. Yeah. I never really had a problem with it. And then after babies, things changed, and then the IUD came out and things were... Very different. Incredible. Um, so the Diva Cup, I after I figured out how to use it, you know, it took me a while. But when I was bleeding heavily, it was a lot harder yeah. to kind of, like, I had to change it every hour or two instead of... Right, and I just found hours. it was a sick, bloody mess a, as well. Yeah, like, and it was... And if know, you're in a public toilet, work, right, it's like... Yeah, trying to do it, and then... And you're wondering if people can notice that you're washing your hands, like, three times. Yeah, like the people really <laughs> at work, so I'm thinking, you know, what kind of germs right. are in a hospital to begin with? So I was using a panty liner, but then I feel like I got the hang of it better, and so I could use it when I was spotting more had a lighter period i could use it and not even worry about it but i used to use that instead and those are the disposable cups oh yeah so they're flexible it's like a flexible ring which is kind of like the diva cup but it's kind of a plastic sheath that can hold blood so you fold it and you insert it and they're all the same kind of things like even like a diaphragm like it has to be in the right spot so you have to kind of make sure it's in the right spot and then that you could leave in for 12 hours and i did like those you know before i had babies i used that yeah i would say one of the things that you need to do of course i went online to try and um, troubleshoot what i was doing and one of the things that i told my class as well is that many women don't actually know where their cervix is and so Mm -hmm. you really need to stick your fingers in and find your cervix in order to make that thing work and don't get me wrong listeners i did that a bunch of times like that's not my problem (laughs) i just think my cycle at the beginning was a bit heavy and i was i bought some like you know like cloth panty liners off etsy that i was using as well so but Uh Now I'm thinking I'm going to move on to these new the things, the, the pants, the period pants, period so panties. So she says or, pants, she's from Australia, they're just underwear. Underwear. I'm they're with, not, she's not wearing a whole pair of pants for her period. <laughs> I could on my they're first couple of days of my pants. life. <laughs> so one of my girlfriends, I have a couple of girlfriends that have the things. One of them has very, very, very heavy periods uh-huh. and the thinks it's not enough. So she wears those and she... I think she does the diva cup because she bleeds so heavily that the thinks is just, I mean, she was walking home from the store one day with the thinks on and I believe she had a diva cup on and she had blood dripping Ugh. 
down her. That's just, that sucks. But she's like, she's an exception. Right. And I haven't talked to anybody that used them that just has a regular fluff. Right. I mean, the idea of it sounds great. Yeah, I think if I was going to buy, my idea is to buy some of those period pants, just to buy, sort of buy the medium flow ones and to use them instead of using a panty liner. Because half the time I find, because I use those cloth panty liners, that the panty liner has turned into the size of a pencil and it's wedged inside my vagina anyway, not really doing the job yeah, that it was. I, supposed to do pads too panty liners and like the thin pads i feel like they shift a lot they do we were just having a a girls night we're having a conversation about when the sticky part sticks to your pubes oh god it's brutal like yanks and you're gonna do like the side step walk a couple steps to kind of free yourself and i find that the wings like if if they flip over and or if they get a bit of fluff on them from your underwear or something like they're completely fucked Mm -hmm. you can't use them as well so i think that what's good about it though is there's a bunch of options for women out there now and it's not like what it used to be in terms of you know and again i have to say incredibly privileged position to be able to have a choice of product (laughs) given the fact that there are millions and millions and millions of women out there who have absolutely no option whatsoever you know and this is not exactly period but i think about i've been having women come in at work that have babies and we have these giant peri pads and mesh underwear and they're bringing their own pull-up to pens yeah because they don't want to mess with those to deal with their postpartum postpartum flow flow, which is really heavy at first and then you know you bleed for a while and so there's must be some sites that are recommending that and i feel like you know if you can do that there's the poise underwear yeah there's quite a few things as long as it wicks the moisture away away from your skin because that's one of the problems and when we go back to the men talking about how it's nasty and it smells bad it's not untrue to say that if you have a pad sitting there there can be a pretty like funky smell happening if it's a really long time yeah if it's a really long time so and if you're bleeding heavily and it has like and so you have a pad that's fairly well saturated it does have a pretty like musty smell to it so you want to try and get rid of that if you can i mean i can think about being when i had first got my period you know in middle school and i had a tampon in and it was in like band and i was too afraid to change my tampon at school like i was petrified on how i was gonna maneuver that whole thing it seemed like insurmountable and i had left it in for too long and i remember a girl in my class being like oh my god something smells like period (laughs) and was like "Ah," and she's going on and on and i was frozen in my seat being like it's me i'm the fucking person that smells like period because i'm wearing a white mini skirt with my period of course of course you are because why would you totally appropriate menstrual wear yeah because once again i probably because you're a modern living woman yeah a modern woman so like after she and i identified my menses like totally bled through everything yeah. but i was just like you know i, I don't think there's a woman alive who hasn't bled through their underwear i remember like being sort of like at that age, i just think i was 15 16 went to a friend's house and i don't know if i needed a pair of underwear or she was lending me some and she was like well don't take those ones those ones have all been bled through and i was like oh my god it actually happens to other people do you know what i mean you have those life realizations where you think i am the only hideous human being alive that bleeds everybody else has a tulip of blood that they cleanly dispose of and i hemorrhage like every day we would like to thank all the listeners who have been tuning in so far we're super super grateful for all the people who listen i do need to let you know that this episode and the previous episode that we did on 
Ooh, mature sure sex. Sucks. These episodes. The photo of Jade and her negligee. <laughs> and I just <laughs> want you to say that that photo of me was given out by the goodness of my heart, and and I would like and I would like it not to be reproduced if you don't mind, <laughs> only because it's a personal photo of mine. <laughs> episodes of At Your Cervix are produced by Alec Goldstein, and the music is by Red Laws, and music by Red Laws can be found on SoundCloud and also at their website, which is www.redlaws.com R-E-D-L-O-Z dot com. Thank you again to all the listeners. You can find us on our Facebook page, Ellen and Jade at your cervix. Mm-hmm. We can be found on SoundCloud, or iTunes. Or lurking in your backyard. You don't we, even know. If you hear a tapping at your window, <laughs> that's probably Ellen. A little. <laughs> I live in a home safe with my family. That would be Ellen perusing the streets at night. So you can find us on any of the ways that you get your podcasts. If you get a chance, please rate us on iTunes because that really helps uh, the people to find the podcast. So thanks again. Thank you from Jade. Thank you from Ellen. And so although no Cherokee warrior could stop him, he finally met his demise in the presence of seven menstruating virgins. And one by one, they stood naked in his path, sapping his strength until he finally crumpled in a heap. And I do feel like I might have had a couple of boyfriends who were like stone clad where you said, I have my periods and they just crumple in a heap in front of you. Do you know (laughs) what I mean? Like that I would just want to fuck for fuck's sake. You know, that makes so much sense to me, but that's never the message.